Okay, so here's our little grounding verse. And what we're going to do is we're going to... So the story of Jesus, right, and all, all the moments of Jesus' life, in some ways is also the story of our own soul, the life of our souls, right? Born humbly in a little manger, unrecognized, celebrated in the heavens, um, then gathers friends, um, betrayed. You know, all these different moments of Jesus' life we can see as parts of our own life. And so we're going to start in the beginning with Jesus' life. And at the beginning of any good story, there's a desire, there's a longing, there's a hope. Any movie, any book, you're watching a character who has a particular desire. We're going to look at that beginning of Jesus' life and then we're going to see how this story evolves and how it might um, help reveal our own soul's journey and our own story. So the verse for today, Mark 1, 11, And a voice came from the heavens, You are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. Let's just take a moment here just to close our eyes and just a little moment of quiet before we begin of We don't even have to call it quiet, just a little moment of rest. The oldest definition of prayer in our tradition that goes all the way back into the Jewish tradition, the oldest definition of prayer, the etymology of that word is rest. And so I want to invite you as we we enter into a deeper awareness of God's presence here with us, among us, within us, See if you might allow yourself to just rest right now. Let your shoulders slump if they feel like doing that. Let your body relax. You don't have to say anything inside your mind or heart. There's nothing for you to do right now. So see if you might give yourself permission just to let go. Feel the light of the sun coming through these windows. The warmth of community. The opportunity to learn and grow. All of these gifts And all that's asked of you now is just to receive. Help us, Lord. Help us to trust. Help us to relax into your presence. Help us to give up all of our striving and anxious grasping. Help us to simply allow ourselves to slump into your arms. To allow ourselves to be held and embraced. To allow your gentle love and spirit to loosen all the knots within us. We thank you for this day, for the beauty that surrounds us, for the gift of being able to worship you and seek you together. And we ask that we might be aware of your gentle presence today. We pray this in the name of our brother Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. So this this is the beginning, right? The beginning is being named beloved. Being named beloved. And that's really, really hard for most of us. You know, we have I, I know we have a lot of people in here who are successful. And it's maybe hardest <laughs> for people who actually know how to work this culture how to get jobs, 
how to make a living, how to take care of yourself. It's hard for us to simply receive love because we're so good at earning it. And yet the beginning of the story is receiving that name, allowing it to penetrate the very marrow of our bones. You are beloved. You are beloved. So the, um, the Dutch priest and author and teacher, Henry Nouwen, taught at Harvard, taught at Yale, spent the last years of his life serving as a chaplain at a L'Arche community in Toronto. L'Arche community is um, a community of developmentally disabled folks who live together in community. He was the chaplain there. One day he's walking across campus, this particular L'Arche community is called Daybreak. He's walking across campus and a young woman there named Jennifer sees him and she's one of the folks, one of the developmentally disabled folks living there and she says to him, um, you know, Father now and Father now and yes, because can I get a blessing? And Father Nowen walks up to her, and, and he's on his way to a meeting, and he says, uh, yeah, sure. And he says, uh, in the name of the Father and the Son, and she knocks his hand away and says, not like that. Do it right. And he's trying to figure out, what does she mean, do it right? And he, he realizes, oh, every night, I mean, every afternoon at 5 o'clock in that community, they have mass, right? They have worship for the whole community. And he thought, oh, she probably means do it in the mass. So he said, okay. Uh, Jennifer, I'll do it at Mass when we gather at the end of the day. And she says, yes, okay. Goes on to his meeting. Five o'clock, he um, officiates at all the Mass, uh, all the gatherings of the community at the end of the day, and he's up there. And all of a sudden, he spots Jennifer, and he's like, oh yeah, she wanted a blessing. And he's trying to figure out what he should say. And he says, okay, Jennifer has asked for a blessing, so before we start today's service, Jennifer, would you come up here? Jennifer starts coming up, and he's trying to figure out what words, what acts, what ritual would help her feel blessed when she just walks up and hugs him, puts her arms around him, and puts her head on his shoulder. And so just automatically, while she's resting there, he just says into her ear, Jennifer, you are God's beloved, and with you God is well-pleased. And she stays there, and they just hug. I don't know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, he says. And then she releases and goes and sits down. Soon as she sits down, they have different people who work there in the community, and a young man from a graduate school doing an internship raises his hand. And Father Nowen goes, yeah, Steve. And Steve says, could I get one of those blessings and so Father Nowen says, yeah, sure, come on up. And so Steve comes up, and Father Nowen takes his robes and wraps his arms around him, and Steve puts his head on his shoulder, and he says, Steve, you are God's beloved, and with you, God is well pleased. And then Steve releases his grasp and turns and starts to go back. And Nowen writes, as soon as he started to go back to his seat, people started standing up across the little chapel, making their way to the aisle and coming forward. Now, I thought to myself as I saw that image in my mind, if I was there sitting in the back and everybody stood up and started making their way forward, I would go, ah, crap. (laughs) Are we all going to do this? This service already goes long, and now we're doing this. We haven't even started the service. But I would get up, and I would look at everyone like, you know, isn't this a meaningful moment we're all having? And I would get in line, and I would walk forward, and I would put my head on his shoulder, hear him say, you're God's beloved, and turn around. and, And I wouldn't be changed. And I wouldn't believe him. How many times have I heard this message? My gosh, 10,000 times? Sunday school classes, sermons, books I've read. I've preached this a million times. And yet way down deep where it matters, where my personality, you know, the parts of myself that are covered by my personality, that little self does not trust this. It's lived in this world too long. 
it's suffered too much. It's seen too much betrayal and hurt and violence within my own personal life as well as in the world. And it says, it's not really true, is it? I don't really believe this. And so I would feel myself in that room. Let's all come forward and receive this word. And my protector self, right, my personality, the self that I show everyone else would be cynical and would say, this, doesn't, this isn't really true, right? I'll just go through the act here. Not allowing that innocent, vulnerable, trusting self, that child born in the manger, that essence that knows God and trusts God, the image of God that resides in me, not allowing that part of myself to be seen and known, to be vulnerable, to receive that embrace and be named. This is, this is the struggle, right? This is the struggle. Is that we are God's beloved, born in the image of God. And there's a part of us that is still innocent. Every one of us has a part of us that is still innocent, despite what we've done, what we've lived, what we've suffered. There's a part of us that knows God, that part that we call the soul, that knows God and trusts God. And then we come into the world, right? That, that part of us that's born and belongs to God, we come into the world innocent and trusting, and the world hurts us, and the world hurts us, and the world is scary. My daughter was little. She's very shy. Grace is a very shy person. And I remember when, you know, she didn't like to look at people. And, of course, when you're a baby, you know, and when you're little, people want to make eyes with you. And they want to look at you. And she would always cover her face. And she's the kind of gentle soul that I remember one morning when she was about two years old, we were out in the front yard. There was ice on, our, on the street. We live on a hill. And this truck was coming down, and it, it, it tried to avoid a car put on its brakes, and it slid, kind of slow, but slid slow, and hit our car. You know, just kind of dented the fender. And the guy got out, and I picked up Grace and and went over to to look at it. He felt it was really apologetic, and, you know, I could tell it wasn't his fault, and we're exchanging insurance. And all of a sudden, the guy said, this is going to change my life. He said, I've been in a warehouse for five years trying to get a job as a driver with this company, and now that I've had this accident, they're probably going to pull my license. And Grace looked at him in that moment, and she just started to cry. Even two years old, she could feel the pain. She was still transparent, still innocent. Here's a hurting human being. And she just began to weep and tuck her head into my neck and cry because of the pain that she felt, right? That shyness. So that when Grace was three, we had little costumes around our house, and we had a, you know, Groucho Marx glasses, you know, the nose and the and the black mustache and the black eyebrows, she started wearing this around the house as a protector, right? And if you said, hey, Grace, do you want something to eat? She wouldn't answer. You had to say Walter. (laughs) I don't know why this is with the name. Walter, oh, Walter's here. And then she could interact with everybody as Walter, right? And we've all built a Walter, right? We've all built some kind of personality, some kind of mask, some kind of public social interface that can keep our vulnerable essence protected. Right? We, we build that protector. So you, some of us who are older remember a book called All I Ever Needed to Learn, I Learned in Kindergarten, something like that. Remember this, Robert Fulgham? This was a kindergarten teacher who wrote a book about uh, the lessons you learn when you're young and, and how we lose those. And this book became a bestseller, and he no longer needed to teach in kindergarten. He became a speaker uh, uh, in universities and public places and, and a very, very um, um, popular author. And later in life, he told this story. He said, you know, when I, when I go and I'm among five-year-olds and six-year-olds, I'll say, who here can sing? Everybody hands, they're all, all their hands go up. And I'll say, hang on a second, now hang on a second. Who can sing a song about a, 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 a frog who grew wings and went up into the stars? So there'll be a little pause, and then the hands will all start to go up. Sometimes he said, one little girl will stand up and go, I want to find the stars. 
as if they know this song, right? And they'll say, okay, now who can draw? Every kid. So sometimes kids are looking around like, where's the crayon? I'll show you. I'll show you right now, you know? And he says, now hold on. Now who could draw a, a, a rhinoceros who's in a submarine going under the ocean? Give me the crayons. I'll do it right now. Yeah? He says, then I go and I speak at universities. And I'll go into a class and I'll say, who here can sing? One, two hands might go up. And there's always qualifiers. Oh, I only sing my own songs. Or I only sing in choir. I don't sing by myself. Right? Who can draw one or two hands? And then always the qualifiers. Right? I, I, I just draw a, a still life. I, I only make my own drawings. You know. And he said, I sit in those classrooms and I say, what happened to you? What happened to you? Just 13 years ago, all of you could sing anything. You could draw. You could dance. 13 years later, you've gotten so small. And of course, we know why. We know why. Because someone said, wow, you don't sing very well. That drawing's not very good. That's not going to get you into college. You're studying art. How are you going to make a living in art? Right? And so over time, we get smaller. And that freeing word, you are God's beloved, we tuck and hide away. We tuck and hide away. That vulnerable, trusting, innocent self, we build a fortress around. And we construct a personality, a survival mechanism, what Thomas Keating, uh, the monk, says, calls a, we, we design a program for happiness. If I talk like this and act like this and dress like this and hide these parts of myself, I'll be okay. Right? Th- this is how the story begins. We're named as beloved. We come from God. We carry the image of God. We carry the blessing of God. And that part of us never leaves us. That part of us still trusts and knows God, and we keep it tucked and hidden away, uh, not allowing it to be seen. For good reasons, for good reasons. We want to protect that part of ourselves. And this is what happens. And we develop this, what we call the false self. The false self, right? The imposter, um, Bryn Manning uh, named it. And we tell these stories, right? Beauty and the Beast, Sleeping Beauty, you have Rapunzel, you have all these images in our fairy tales of the hidden vulnerable one who's covered over, the frog who actually just wants to be kissed (laughs) (laughs) and fall in love. The princess hidden in the tower. The beast who's actually a human being who wants to be loved, right? These stories are communicating this journey of the soul. And when you watch Jesus, right, particularly in the book of Mark, Jesus is hiding this identity. So, you know, who do you say I am? He's carrying this belovedness into the world. And he sees and he's speaking to the belovedness in each of us. If I was to come forward and be hugged by Henry Nouwen, he's not hugging my false self. He's not hugging the accomplished person who's written books and speaks and all that. That's not who that hug is for. It's for my secret self. It's for the child within me. It's for my beloved self who doesn't really trust and who needs to know that they're loved. Right? That's, so, the, so, the, so the work, right, for all of us is just to let ourselves, and it's hard. I mean, it's not even conscious. We have to sort of wait and trust and hope and put ourselves in position where we might relax and be embraced. And you can't will it. It's a grace that comes over us. It's a willingness to go forward and hear the words and hear the words and receive the embrace until suddenly you feel safe enough to trust that inner um, truth. Is, that, is this connecting people? Or, or, you know, at any point, by the way, feel free to 
raise your hand, correct, challenge, <laughs> you know, uh, point something out, uh, ask a question or, 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 or whatever. So what happens, right, in a culture that's built this way, I have to watch my time here because I just want to see if this, this description of the world makes sense to you. So when we... Um, When we live in the false self, the protector self, you know, sometimes they call it, you know, oh, this person is such a strong ego. Oh, that was my ego. That was the ego, right? That's, that's another name for this. The, the, the self we construct out of fear, out of mistrust. But there's, you know, I don't want to denigrate that part of ourselves. We built the ego. That ego is... Tr- knows about the little child, knows about our vulnerable self, and is trying to protect us, is trying to care for us, right? And, but when you have... Um, a self and a world built out of anxiety and fear, which is, which is was what that protector self is built out of, Life seems a certain way. Now, this is going to be a little bit simplistic, but I just want to get at, uh, you know, when you're, when you're anxious and fearful, when you're, when you're living in that part of yourself, you're focused on the future. How are our investments going to do? What, where, where are we headed? What's, what's our five-year plan, our 10-year plan? You know, you're focused on, on what's ahead. When you're in that place, you're, what, what you're looking to do is control. Right? We want to get control of the situation. Who do we want in charge of our businesses, our politics? Someone who can control things, make things safe. When you're fearful, you focus on endpoints, on results, on goals. How many people showed up? Who showed up? How much money are we making? Who's tithing? Who's not tithing? Right? You want things, when you're fearful, you want things to go faster, speed up. We need this done tomorrow. When you're fearful, you focus on answers. Who's the consultant? Who's the expert? Who can tell us what we need to do? When you're fearful, you're isolated. You pull your own self up by your own bootstraps, right? It's up to you. This is a competition. Only there's only going to be a, there's going to be winners. And there's going to be losers. You want to be a winner. You want to figure out how you can get ahead. You know, what do you, what do you, some of us, you know, who went to college, we remember that pressure. You got to stand out. You need to get the better grades. You need to figure out how to get into this school. You want to do this, right? This is that, that self built out of anxiety. When you're anxious, you focus on performance, looking good. This is what social media is, right? This is what I'm eating. This is where I am. This is what I look like. This is who I'm with, right? There's a performative element. Um, when you're when you're anxious, you're reactive. You're, you're responding to things with this sort of sense of reaction. When you're anxious, your identity is, I am what I do. What's the question every young person is asked as, as they get older? What are you going to do? So what are you going to do? What are you going to do with that? Well, I was going to study English. Are you going to be a teacher? That's basically all you can do with studying English. You're going to be a teacher? I don't know what I was going to do. You don't know what you're going to do. You better figure this out. It's a brutal world out there. You're not going to make any money. You're not going to make it with that kind of attitude. You better maybe get a business degree. Right? In fact, my, my friend Michael Herenik says, we, in, in the United States, we have the, the, uh, the false, the identity of, the, the trinity of false identity. And that trinity of false identity, right, is I am what I do, I am how much I do, and I am how well I do it. That's where my worth lies. What do you do? How well do you do it? You know, how much do you do? And how well do you do it? And we all know we're being judged by that. So that we're sitting around tables here. What do you do? I hope this is okay. You know, if I tell you, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at home part-time, and the rest of the time I'm, I'm working uh, at a church. You know, I do most of the maintenance work there. Is that a good enough answer? Am I still okay? Right? We, wish, we want to have a good answer to this because we know our identity is based on it. Now, when you're rooted and grounded in love, in that sense of belovedness, the world, life looks different. 
right? Instead of the future, love always wants to be right here, right now. You know when you're in love and you have this moment with the person you love? Whether it's your child that you're sort of, you know, your new, your newborn or a romantic partner or a friendship group where people really love each other. I just want to be here in the present. I don't want to be in the future, right? When you're in love, instead of controlling, you're contemplative. You're seeking to be aware. You're taking, um, you know, somebody described contemplation as a long, loving look at the real. You just want to have that long, loving look at the real. Boy, look at the light today. Look at these people serving us this food. Look at the different blooms on the flowers around here. Listen to the voice of the children. Look at the light glancing off the water. This long, loving look at the real. Instead of trying to control things, right? When you're, instead of results, you're focused on relationships, Who am I working with? What are we doing together? Okay, so only five people showed up. What could we do? How could we enjoy one another? Instead of focusing on, well, we planned for 20, only five showed up, right? That sort of judging spirit. Instead of faster, love always wants to slow down. Instead of answers, love is far more interested in questions. Who are you? You're mysterious. I'm enamored by you. Wow, what incredible gifts you have. That's interesting that you see things that way. Love seeks questions. Trust seeks questions. Instead of isolated, of course, love seeks collaboration, community. Instead of uh, performance, uh, love is far more interested in in, in people. I'm, I'm interested in you. Your essence, not in how you perform or how you appear. Instead of reactive, love is responsible, able to respond. Let's just take in what's happening here. How do we act from a grounded place? Instead of I am what I do, our identity when we're grounded in love is beloved. So this is simplistic in some ways, but we see this way our culture mostly wants us to live here. And anxiety, the etymology of that word, is to choke. You can't breathe. Right? So mostly we live in this gasping culture. And it's not that these are bad. Right? Sometimes we need to know how many kids we brought on the retreat so we bring the same number home. Right? We need, so, so, so it's not bad to look at the future or control or result. You know, these things, sometimes we've got to move fast. We need to make things happen. But it's almost like if you pick that up and you tilted it around, we, we need, when, it, when you come from love, these look different. When you only live in the shallow, we're all hyperventilating. You know, we're all racing around. You mean, every time you get on the road, you know, I remember I brought a friend who lives in a who's a, who's a lives in a monastic community. Uh, I, I used to work at in San Anselmo, Marin County, at the at the Presbyterian Seminary, and he would get up in the early morning to pray. And here would come the joggers, right? You know those people running in the morning. And he says, "I understand people want to run, but he says they all look to me like they're running from something. <laughs> like they're not out to have and enjoy a run outside. It's like." <gasps> Gotta get in shape. Gotta keep it tight. Gotta be get this. Get the stress out. I gotta go to work today. I gotta get this done, right? So, so these activities look different when they're rooted and grounded in love. And and the Christian journey and the Christian work is to somehow release ourselves to to to, to stop the clinch, which we don't always have. Which mostly we don't have control over. And you sort of place yourself. You know, in, in the presence of God, clenched, you know. And just like we had the song this morning, you know, Lord, have mercy. Help me. I don't know how to release this. You know, I don't know. I'm scared. I feel threatened. I don't feel like I can trust. I don't feel safe. I'm working as hard as I can. I'm trying to fix everything. I'm playing God because I don't know if I can trust you. Help me. I can't release my hands. And it's staying in that presence until 
that gentle, gentle, gentle presence of love can say, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You can stay clenched. You can keep your hands gripping. Go ahead. It's okay. I understand. I understand. It's been scary. It's been hard. You haven't been loved the way you should have been. It's okay. I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to stay right here. Until you're ready. You know? Until you're ready. It's okay. That's that gentle, compassionate presence of God that we're all, the songs, the teachings, the play, all of it, trying to coax forth that little trust of that little one that was named beloved from the very beginning, that has all its needs, all it needs, that knows God and trusts God, but that we ourselves don't trust. You know? This So, comments, questions, noticings. Yeah. Uh, I noticed you put questions on the right side, but yesterday we kind of talked about how questions can take out of, us out of our stories. Um, we kind of become more, I mean, I would, based on yesterday, I, I had questions on the left. Um, oh, oh, okay, yeah. Yes. So, so I, I actually said two things about questions. I, I think I said at some point that everybody longs for a good question. So a question said in patience and love and generosity, you know, if I came up to you and said, and I, and I had all the time in the world, and I said, you know, tell me, uh, tell me a moment where you really felt like yourself as a kid. You just felt like you. And you, think, and, you, and you sit there and you get to think about that for a while, and then you start telling me, and I'm really listening. That can be a gift, right? But if you start telling me and I'm just like, and I'm like, Wait a minute, did you play soccer? Okay, did you raise, because I used to play soccer. Did you, did you, what position did you play? And I'm asking these kinds of questions, right? I'm, I'm, I want to control the flow of what you're remembering and how you're doing it, so I'm in that space. Versus contemplative, where it's that generous listening, where I just want to be here. I, I really, you're a mysterious creature. You're another human being on this earth, and I'd love to hear what your life was like. That's a different spirit, you know, if that makes sense. So all these things, asking questions, you know, all these things can be, can be really good for us, um, but are they rooted and grounded in love? And are we finding ways to, to position ourselves where God might get something in, <laughs> you know, where a little whisper might be heard? And it's hard, because if you're here, if you're anxious, and you can't breathe, and you're driving as fast as you can, and I'm trying to keep it all together, and I'm trying to prove my worth, and I'm... If I'm driven in that spirit, it's very hard for me to hear or listen or pay attention or anything, right? Your own cherished child comes to you and says, you know, look what I made. I made this drawing. Okay, not right now, honey. I've got something else I have to do, right? And we can't even receive anything. The flowers are blooming and looking at you today as you're walking, you know. Okay, I have an email I have to do. I know I want to be on retreat, but I've got to get this email done. I want to prepare for that by this afternoon. And all the 10,000 gifts that God has given you on this day, we walk past them, right? All the ways God's trying to coax forth love and trust because we're, we're caught up within the principalities and powers. Yeah. We feel it in the Middle East right now, right? We understand. I mean, at some deep level, you've ever been in a... A, a terrible family conflict, if you've ever had a terrible anger, felt betrayed, felt scared, if you slow down, you can feel all the players in that absolute horrific tragedy that's happening right now. People are in, in, in a place of fear. They're really scared, and for good reasons. And when you get in that place, you start to lose your perspective. And you do things that later you go, I wish I'd never done that. Yeah. We know this. So this is the, this is the work. This is the work, is to, is to give up. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm working with people, it's like, go twice as hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I, we, we need this system to crash. And so it's like, we need suffering, often suffering is what causes us to give up. Because, and we'll talk about this later tonight. 
Okay, so let me tell you a story. Then we're going to do an exercise together so we don't have to just keep sitting here listening. Um, so Desmond Tutu, Archbishop, you know, South Africa, Nobel Peace Prize winner. He's at Emory University. He's working on a book. The university has provided a house for him. You know, they, they, a free house in exchange that he would come into a couple of classes and teach. And, and so the deal is working out well. He and his family are living there. He's working on this book. He's coming into classes. And then the, the president of Emory gets a little bold and says, would you be willing to teach a whole class? And he says, yeah, I'll teach a class. And so he designs a class. The class is called God's Love. And he decides, I don't want to teach it in the university, in Emory. I want to teach it into your, your partner's school, the theology school, Candler, Candler School of Theology. And he says, I want some requirements on the class. I want the class to only be for seniors, those who are getting in their last year, and those students who are going into ministry. I don't want academics who are getting PhDs and master's degrees. I want people who are going to go out and serve and be pastors. So they put this requirement on the class. First day there, my friend Michael Horinick's there. He says, the arch, that's what we called him. The arch comes into the room and smiles, all that kind of buoyant energy, and immediately he starts talking, right? He's talking about what we're going to do in this class. And he notices pretty quickly, because he's sensitive to people, that people aren't really listening. That, that the, the class, people are kind of looking around, they're, they're whispering to one another. And so he just stops and he says, hey, um, I notice people are, are not really paying attention. Am I missing something? You know, what's happening here? And the students, you know, who've been in school, most, many of them their whole life, right, college, now they're in graduate school, one of them raised their hand and says, yeah, where's the syllabus? Is there a syllabus? Right, and the syllabus is that document that you get at the start of a college class, many of you know this, that tells you, like, here's what you have to read, here's how we're going to grade, here's going to be the assignments, here's how the class is going to work. So, the, you know, is there a syllabus? And he says, oh, okay, well, um, no, there's not a syllabus, and there's not going to be any reading assignments there's no tests, there's no papers, there's no exams. In fact, my plan is just to give everybody an A. And, and then this really calls an, causes an unease in the group. It's like, this sounds like communism. We don't do this in our country. You don't just give A's. And he says, you know, but God, God has very low standards. And so, so will I. Everybody gets an A. Right? And he says, here's, here's all we're going to do in this class. All we're going to do in this class is I'm going to remember and recall and tell stories of when I encountered and knew God's love. I'm just going to tell you moments from my life where it's I experienced and knew God's love. I'm going to tell you stories. And maybe halfway through uh, the semester, I'm then going to turn it and say, okay, see if you can remember and recall moments where you knew God's love, and then I'm going to invite you to tell those stories to the class. That's all we're going to do. And he said, here's why. I know you've studied theology. I know you've studied biblical hermeneutics. I know church doctrine. You've had to take all these exams before you can be pastors. He said, but if you leave this school and you don't know God's love in the marrow of your bones, you leave this institution with nothing with nothing. So all we're going to do is we're going to slow down and we're going to remember and we're going to recall when we knew when we knew. The crazy thing about this life is we all in some place in us know this life. We've had little moments. Maybe they snuck up on us. Maybe they weren't even allowed in our families, but they came anyways. Moments when we felt trusted, moments when we felt that sacred presence, moments when we felt love, the sun coming through the window in the midst of a junior high class that you hated. But that sun just glancing through the window told you something. There's more. You're more than what's happening now, right? We all know that. And as we remember and recall and savor and spend time cultivating that presence, that's the beginning that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus knows and trusts this word of love. Jesus dwells in that presence of love. And so he can walk into an anxious and fearful and violent culture with all kinds of false projections on him, and it doesn't shake him because he's rooted and grounded in that greater love. 
And what Jesus says is, you can do this too. You can do this too. You'll do greater things than me. Right? You, you can do this too. I call you friends. You know this too. Yeah. So what I want to do is invite us to actually, let's follow the instructions of the arch. And what I want to do in a moment here is invite you to recall, and I'm going to lead a guided sort of, sort of experience here. And I'm going to invite you to remember a moment in your life, here's, and I'll guide this whole thing, a moment in your life that was sacred to you. I'm going to use that language. Okay? A moment that was sacred to you. Um, some moment of connection, maybe, or aliveness, or presence, or um, some moment where you felt joy, or maybe it was grief, but you felt deeply connected. And if you, I was to hand you a photo album and it had a picture of every moment of your life, what pictures would you go, okay, that was sacred. That was a sacred moment. And I'm going to help you recall that by inviting you as if I gave you a time machine to travel back and to sit in that experience again. And I'll help you kind of try to recall it by giving you little prompts like what did you see and what did you hear and what did you feel in that moment just so you can kind of bring it back and then I'll invite you at some point to notice what was that sacred presence like? What was that sacred presence like? And then invite you just to, to dwell and uh, allow that same sacred presence to come over you again right here. And then we'll come out of the exercise and we'll see what showed up. Okay? Don't try to make anything happen. <laughs> just see if some moment comes into your attention when I say that word sacred, and then just go back and just enjoy it, dwell in it, remember it, and then just see what shows up, okay? Everybody willing to play along? So I'm just going to invite you just as a way of entering into this exercise to, to close your eyes as a way of letting go of the, of the visual distractions. And just in your own way, just within yourself, to, to offer this time, just offer this time to God. Say, okay, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. And then just give yourself a moment just to, just to, just to rest, just to let things settle. Whatever is going on inside you, whatever thoughts or emotions, whatever bodily sensations, just to Okay, this is me. Here I am. Maybe you notice your own breathing as a way of kind of quieting yourself. Just noticing that in-breath. Breathing in God's life and God's light. Just releasing. Every time you exhale, releasing. Letting go. Just being your little self. And as you just allow yourself to dwell in this moment, I invite you to recall some moment from your life, whatever wants your attention today, some moment from your life that was sacred, that was sacred to you. Maybe it's an experience of connection, beauty, 
moment when you felt fully alive or present. An experience of curiosity or wonder. And as you have, maybe if you have different experiences coming into your awareness, just choose the one that seems to want your attention today. Let the rest go. And then I invite you to to return and travel back in time and to sit in that moment once again by recalling what you saw in that moment. What did you see in that experience? What were the colors? And what did you hear in that moment? What were the sounds? And what did you feel in your body in that moment? emotions were present. And what was that sacred presence like? What was that sacred presence like? And for the next few minutes, just within yourself, see if you might allow that same sacred presence to come over you once again.
And then as we continue just to rest and dwell within this sacred presence, See if you might allow a spirit of gratitude to rise up in you for whatever has occurred within your prayer. invite you as you're ready to gently bring your attention back to this time this space this gathering of souls So sometimes it's only when we try to put words on an experience that we can finally kind of hold it and and take it in. So I'm going to invite us here uh, just in a minute to get into groups of three or four and to just share what you noticed in the exercise. Just what did you notice? And you're in charge of your own sharing. And so you share what you feel right about sharing. And I want to invite the other two or three people in your group to just listen in that generous spirit. Okay? And each person should take about two or three minutes each to share what they noticed. And when they're done sharing, have the rest of the members of the group to just say thank you. And then the next person goes. Okay? Until everybody has shared what happened in the exercise for them. Okay? So find two or three, form a little group, share what you noticed. So, um, what was it like? What was it like for you to remember and share this experience? Well, first, yeah. I, thought, I wish I had more. You know, I, wish I, had more yeah, more I wish I had more moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you sit in one, it's like wow. Mm-hmm. And and maybe even notice sometimes. I mean, the sorrow of that is. Maybe they came to me and I just wasn't there. I wasn't aware. I wasn't, yeah, something was happening and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes? I was surprised at what came up as a sacred moment. Yeah. What you were, stood out in my mind as something sacred. Yeah, and so, so I don't use a God moment or a God experience because we tend to bracket. We, we look for certain things. So the word sacred kind of allows you to... Re- bring in experiences you might not normally call that. Yeah. And so one of those showed up for you. What was it like to dwell in that experience? It it, it felt fulfilling. It felt fulfilling. Fulfilling. Wow. So you think about anxiety. You know, we're never enough. I don't have enough. I don't know if I'm going to be able to. You know, we're, we're grasping all the time. We're in that longing space. And so to have a moment where you just feel... Fulfilled. This is enough. I'm enough. This is enough. Beautiful. Yeah. Yes.
Yeah. So, so, so you, is you have this treasured moment and this treasured experience that you used to draw on, is what I, if I'm hearing you right. You used to kind of dwell in and kind of sit. And then 10 years go by, right? And, and it's not, we're all sort of trained to focus on the problems, you know, what's happening, how to make things happen. You know, we're all trained like that. But you get this little moment and then you bring back this treasure. Ah, yes. That, this is mine. I have this. This moment happened to me and I have it and I can turn to it anytime and draw, draw in that experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Others, what, what was it like to remember and, and share? Yeah. Um, mine was a really hard moment in my life. Yeah. It was helpful to reflect back on it and to remember how it actually did change me and I did see God more clearly in that moment. And then it made me think about my kids and how I don't ever want them to have hard moments. My yes, kids, you know, yes, yes. 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 Wow. Beautiful. There's a lot of layers there. So, so going back and sitting in a moment of suffering or pain or you know, it's a hard moment. You said, and um, and realizing, whoa, that's my sacred moment. Something, something broke there, or something fell apart there, or whatever that allowed, and, and then noticing how God was present there, maybe in a new way. Yeah, and being able to sort of take that in, and then realizing. Wow, there's a gift in suffering. There's a gift in suffering. And if I protect my kids from every hard thing, oh, you can't, but we try, don't we? I do. <laughs> you know, um, I may be protecting them from the kinds of breakthroughs or the kinds of the way God can be present in those, in those places as well. It's hard, yeah. It's like when Paul says that, you know, you know, God's strength is in our weakness. It's in our weakness that we can sort of take that in. And it's hard because our culture tells us the story of your life should start here and then continued success. Just up and up and up and up, better, 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 right? And you know, you don't ever want to fail. You want to avoid suffering at all costs, right? But that's not the Christian story. The Christian story is the descent. The descent. And then when you descend is what did the song say today? You know, Christ by grace I fell, something like this. I don't even, I don't know this. Yeah, Christ is lower still. So, so Christ can catch us, Christ has got us. If we can allow ourselves to release into the hardness, into the hard moments, yeah. Mm-hmm. We all have a gospel story, you know. You all have a gospel story. Yes, over here. Wow. So, so getting to be in the presence of other people, you know, uh, what is Thomas Mer- shining like the sun? You know, just they're, they're being illumined. They're in, a, they're, they're in a sacred moment and then realizing it's contagious a little bit. <laughs> you know, you caught it with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that we're all connected. We're not alone. We belong to one another. So someone's when someone touches God, when someone gets freed, um, it invites our freedom. We can participate. Maybe you felt that in the groups. What was it like to listen to others? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was good because actually, I'm going to be honest with you. Okay. I never left this room. I just, I heard the birds outside, which yeah. is just great. Yeah. But at times, I don't want to go back because, you know, there are part moments, but what you said there are blessings in them, and it's great. But for me, it was just listening to that was gracious. And it, it was like, uh, this it took time, just be quiet and listen, which was great. And, and what was it like for you to hear these others? It, I grew from it. You grew from it. Yeah, because it's like, wow, you know, I kind of, I kind of needed that. Mm. I can use what, what some things were said. I mean, I won't say yeah. what they said, but it was... But it, it blessed you right. in some way. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's that connected nature. When someone goes down and they, and they draw water or they, draw, or they harvest, you know, from their own garden, there's drink and food for all. 
and, they, and it gets shared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is how we carry each other's burdens, and this is how we free one another. You know, when one person figures out, okay, you're in, we're all in the prison together, and someone says, third brick on the south wall is loose. I just went out. <laughs> and they come back and tell us, it wakes us up. Maybe I could get free. Maybe I could find that brick. Maybe I could, you know, we help each other this way. Circumstances and the things on the left column mm-hmm. became secondary or insignificant actors in that moment, in that story. They no longer had kind of control and influence and grip. Yeah. That the right side over in the yeah, this, so you have this inbreaking of grace, or another way you might say it, this inbreaking of reality, the deep reality, or this inbreaking of sanity. <laughs> and this other side, it's, it's, it's not as compelling, it's not as seductive, it's not as gripping to us, and we kind of fall into a deeper, deeper place. Oh, this is what matters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let me just. Do just a couple things, and we'll, and we'll go out into the sacred world. Um, what if there was a word that came to you that describes what that sacred presence was like in your experience, um, or maybe in listening to others? What would be a word? And I'm just going to write them up here as you call them out that describes what that sacred presence was like for you. Communion. Okay, so so communion. Healing. Yeah, healing. This presence is a healing presence. Yeah. Connected. Cool? Yeah, cool. Small. This presence was small. Okay. Surprise. Surprise. Awesome. Awesome. Trust, deep, deep trust there. Mm-hmm. Love. His presence was love, okay. Courage. Courage. I heard someone say grace. Rest. Rest. Calming. Calming. Calming, okay, calming. Alive. Breathtaking. Breathtaking. Visceral. 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 Okay, thank you. Visceral. Pause. 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 Intimate. Big. And someone else said clear. We have room for one or two more words. Then that's it. And that will define it. (laughs) All encompassing. All-encompassing, and I think I spelled that wrong, but we're going to... God has low standards. What else? No, one more? Authentic. What's that? Similar. Similar and authentic. Yeah. So this presence, this presence that all of us know in some, some way, right? This presence draws out wonder in us. It, it draws out this sense of something awesome. It takes our breath away. 
This, this presence is uh, it's connecting. We, we, we feel ourselves rooted and connected to what's around us. A sense of communion comes, comes over us. This, this uh, presence is small. It's, it's intimate. It's authentic. We, we, we trust this presence. This, this, this presence is healing. It's loving. It's calming to us. It's, a, it's like a presence of grace, and it brings up rest. It allows us just to pause, to, to, to detach for just a, mo- a moment. This presence is visceral. We feel it in our, in our bodies. It's alive, and it's full of trust, right? It's all-encompassing, right? This presence, this healing presence. And it's cool. It's just there. It's just there. It's not, it doesn't get shook by what's, by what's around us, right? This presence, right? So this is the same presence. This is the very same presence, and we probably could have done another 40 words or something, that Jesus knew. You, you know God. Every human being knows God. Every human being has experienced God. Every human being. I I was invited by the Jefferson Society. The Jefferson Society, their mission is to eradicate the world of superstition and religion. They're a committed atheist, a group of committed atheists who believe that a lot of the world's problems come from religion and superstition. Like many churches in the United States, they're dying. Their membership is falling away. And they decided they needed to do a retreat and re-figure out their mission statement. So they came to me. They said, you're the, a religion guy. You know how to do retreats. Would you be able to t- lead a retreat for us and keep God out of it? And I said, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> so I came, and we did this very exercise. Right Now we had to talk for about 45 minutes about what I meant by sacred. Right? That I meant alive, connected, that kind of thing. And then, what was that sacredness like? How would you guys describe it? Because I wanted them to come back in touch with their aliveness because they're a dead, dying organization. And they said words like this. Right? Many of those people wounded by the church. And they were given a God that was not this. And so their move towards atheism is actually a move towards life. Because their soul says, I want this. I don't want the vindictive, hurtful presence that I was taught when I was younger, right? But every human being knows this presence, and you do too. You do too. In the center of your own heart, you know God. You don't have to believe or have faith. You already know. You just have to trust, release, relax, receive the love that's all around you all the time. So that you can recognize that every moment has the potential to be sacred. This gentleman right here, I don't need to go back. I got right now. There's birds outside right now. There's people I love right around me right now. (sighs) Okay. And that's the beginning. (laughs) That's the beginning. (laughs) Thank you.